Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Cybersecurity Podcast. We bring together the best technical leaders to talk about their industry passions and challenges that they face. I'm Stephen from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and I help businesses connect with top cyber and information security talent. But today, I'm your host for this roundtable discussion. Today, I'm joined by Julie Osborne at Vodafone, Stuart Wright at Netitude, Cam Karaji at BB Financial Services, and Jim Newman at Capco. This is episode two in the Breaking Barriers, promoting diversity in cyber and information security series, where today we'll be discussing neurodiversity. I think it's worthwhile pointing out that the points made in this conversation today are solely the views of all of us as individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of our relevant employers. So to get us started, let's meet our panel for today. Please could you introduce yourselves to our audience, tell us a bit more about you, what you do, and share with us your journey or your experience with neurodiversity. Jim, do you mind starting us off? Yeah, hello, Stephen. Uh, so I'm Jim Newman. I'm the CISO at Capco. I really only realised I was on a journey with neurodiversity when my eldest son was diagnosed with ADHD and uh, his specialist at the time had said, well, there's a often a, a genetic link uh, and it's pretty clear where he gets it from. And looking around the, the room in the hospital, I was like, oh, you, you mean me? Uh, and and his doctor had recommended that I get diagnosed as an adult. That then followed, and it, it took a while. It took kind of five years to get through the whole diagnosis process. But um, once diagnosed, it then all of the bits fell into place, and I realised that I had uh, I I'd been dealing with these issues all of my life, and I just hadn't really realised. It's it's pretty clear when you look back and uh, <laughs> and realise um, actually, yeah, that's why I was doing a thing and. You know, we all know that when when we were children and when we were at school, it was much less understood. It was um, it was not well recognised. Uh, you know, for me, it's ADHD. You know, you're the kid that isn't achieving their potential, the kid that keeps mucking about, blurts out answers, um, finishes too quickly, restless, won't stay in their seat, and uh, doesn't stop talking. I know it's a surprise, right? You. <laughs> So yeah, that was um, that was me. It's caused problems in all of the in all of the intervening period, but they're problems that you just think oh, everybody else is dealing with this and, and make yeah. them just a bit different. Amazing. Thanks for sharing, Jim. Julie, let's come to you next because uh, your experience and your journey has been a bit different. It has, yes. Thanks very much. I'm Julie Osborne. I'm head of cyber for Vodafone Business Platforms and Solutions, um, and that's kind of my day job but actually I have a passion for diversity and inclusion and um, I started my journey looking at women in cyber being a female in cyber and as as I've learned and grown it's become more about diversity and inclusion and making sure that everybody is feeling valued so when I stepped across into global cyber I made a decision to take on a voluntary role and I actually am the diversity and inclusion lead for our cyber team, running a small action group, holding sessions uh, around all aspects of diversity, equity and inclusion um, and touching on personal stories, becoming an ally, learning 
more because I feel that actually that's what we're all here for because the more stories that you hear, the more that you can understand and respect people and be able to be more supportive. And you can then bring your whole self to work rather than feeling that you need to hide a part of who you are because we all bring different skills depending on our backgrounds and and our experience. So, yeah, that's that's why I'm here. Fantastic stuff. Brilliant. Thank you for that, Julie. Um, and Stuart, do you want to tell us a little bit about you, please? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Stephen. So, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Stuart Wright. I head up the GRC Functioning Netitude. Um, I guess why I'm here today is, and thanks for inviting me, is, is down to a post that you saw, Stephen, uh, on my LinkedIn a couple of months ago now, I think it was. Yeah. Um, so I, I received uh, an ASD diagnosis in 2022, so just over a year ago, which I didn't really reveal to anyone until quite recently. Um, so I suppose my motivation for sharing that was was driven by a couple of things. So there was, I guess the main thing is that, and the reason I opened up is that I'd seen a lot of misinformation um you know some of those things being almost harmful things people posting um you know but misinformation i guess coming through lack of awareness lack of understanding in in people in businesses and it kind of made me think because it was a you know it's very difficult to to post something on linkedin like that it's not typically the kind of person i am but it it it, i guess the fact i found that quite difficult um it did make me think that sat here in a role that's quite senior you know a kind of a head of role a leadership role if i'm finding something difficult like that to post how is someone going to be feeling that's you know not 20 years into their career someone that might be worried about well actually you know i haven't quote unquote proven myself yet i'm vulnerable um you know is this going to hold me back in some way will there be consequences so um i i guess that's what made me press the enter button on that post um in terms of my own challenges, I guess I'm still working those things out. It's relatively new for me mm-hmm. the last 18 months, um, trying to unpick some of the um, kind of masking behaviours, uh, a bit a bit like Jim, I guess, as well. You kind of look back and go, oh, that makes sense now. Um, I understand that with a slightly different context. And, you know, you sit and talk to my wife and she goes, well, yeah, you do do that. Like, that is you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I guess it's it's, it's kind of new for me. Um, and, and that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. Yeah, and I think just to kind of um, stick around that point about the post that you made, Stuart. Um, it, it, if no one else has seen it, I I uh, I was flagged towards it the day after you posted it, um, and a colleague of mine saw it and just said, "Oh, you you need to take a look at this because they knew I was planning this diversity podcast series." And as soon as I saw it, I, I saw it. I just thought that's brilliant because what Stuart's doing is exactly what we wanted to do with this series uh in this podcast and that is just share from an experienced perspective the the stories the challenges the the viewpoint the perspective of people from diverse backgrounds and i thought it was very very brave to put up the stuff that you did Stuart. and well, i mean i said so when i dropped you a message straight away after seeing it didn't i literally i, I literally read it email just straight away and uh, and then we got talking so yeah brilliant stuff um and cam last but by no means least thanks Stephen. Uh, thanks for the invite appreciate it um so yeah my name is cam karaji i'm the global head of information security for bb financial services um i've been in cyber for around 10 to 12 years now um and before which um i, I was a police commander for nearly 14 years now I think that's when my 
um, journey kind of began. Um, um, so I I was a very um, qualified police officer. Uh, I got all the badges and all the little stripes I needed. However, um, in terms of progression, the progression steps for me was going into CID and being a detective and going into major crime. Um, so as a police officer, when I was a hand on hands on street, I was able to identify and picture visually everything that was going around me, the assailants, how a crime scene was made up and all that. However, for me to put that on paper, I always struggled. I didn't really understand why. So I went into CID, I did my 18-month uh, uh, period in there, and my sergeant used to constantly say to me, can create your case files to take prisoners to uh, court and through the criminal justice system. Every time I did my file, it came back uh, uh, as not satisfied. It didn't have all the um, the information that we needed. wasn't always on there. My grammar and spelling was horrific. Um, I was more talking through very rudimentary visual aspects on a statement, which didn't work because in court that doesn't doesn't stay. So at that stage, my detective actually um, asked me to go to occupational health and get myself assessed as being dyslexic. It turned out I was heavily dyslexic. And a massive surprise to me, a bit of a shock to me as well. Um, but some of the learnings I learned from it, um, and I had to go through a, a bit of um, counselling for me to understand it because there was a there was a part of me that kept on constantly uh, rejecting it, saying that's not me. That that was that, that's definitely not me. I don't have a weakness. How can I have a weakness? Um, but then things like when I was young, I couldn't tie my shoelaces. I couldn't tell uh, the hands of time. I couldn't get analog watch because I couldn't tell the time. I used to get confused left to right. And weirdly, when I was in my police cars going to nine to nine things, I got left and right confused as well. It's really strange. Um, so over time, um, I've learned to kind of cope with it and understanding what kind of measures I can implement to make myself better. But I still find it a struggle. And I think mm. um, these kind of podcasts are, are great to just um, build that awareness up because, you know, you're not on that journey by yourself and there's others that have gone through it or are enduring that now. Fantastic. Thanks, Cam. And thanks uh, again, all of you for you know, share, sharing a little bit about yourselves before we jump into our conversation today. Um, so the way that we'll run this conversation is uh, I'll throw a couple of questions out to um, to the group and we'll have just a roundtable discussion. I'd love people to jump in and share their thoughts, uh, thoughts with us as, as we move through. So our first question that I'll put out to you, um, neurodivergent individuals will often mask their differences at work so their neurotypical colleagues may be unaware uh, either due to the lack of awareness or jack uh, lack of education i'm interested to hear if you've witnessed or experienced instances where a neurodivergent person was treated differently due to a lack of awareness of their situation and i mean it in the context you know of it being accidental you know without any malicious intent I, i'm solely talking from that uh, that perspective um does anyone have any you know sort of examples any uh any anything that they've witnessed in that sort of perspective i can give you an example of 
not just what I've witnessed, but what I've experienced. I think, okay, you know, kind of going back to our our first question, the the experience bit is is that I certainly, when I was masking because I didn't realise um, <laughs> that I those struggles that we've all had, where we are neurodiverse individuals in a neurotypical world, so the workplace is still set up in a in a in a way that it's very much like like the old factories of old you know there is a time you turn up there is a time you leave there is a particular thing that you have to do within a within a time scale and it doesn't always fit the way the way that we work or the way that we that we work best and the same as when we were at school you know there is a critic there is a criticism when you're not doing something the way that you're expected to do it you may excel in things but but if you don't do a particular thing in the right way then criticism comes your way not because of the facts that somebody is seeing you as being neurodiverse and, and trying to attack you, but it's just that you approach something in a different way or you communicate with a different style. So for me, it has often been either the way that I communicate or um, or the way that I've delivered something. And mm-hmm. uh, even if the performance has been really good, those feelings of shame and inadequacy that have gone on throughout the whole of my life are still there so there is this kind of paranoia that the moment somebody starts picking up on something you treat it as this must be a criticism it must be a direct criticism because of the experience of uh, of, of the past so that's yeah. that for me has been the experiences that it has been around okay is there a criticism of the way that i've done something it isn't the way that somebody else would do it and therefore it it's not that it's wrong, but it's it's not being done the way that it's expected. I want to give you a concrete example, but I can't because um, <laughs> because I'd have to name an employer to do it. Yeah. The, um, the witnessing, though, I have had an employee who was um, who was being monitored by HR and was on an improvement program, and that employee is neurodiverse, but was still is um but at the time that employee was being treated as though their timekeeping was a major issue their performance was stellar they did everything in less time than everybody else in the team uh they were excelling in everything that they did but they weren't turning up to work on time uh their line manager before i took over had described them as being a management challenge well i'm one of those so (laughs) i i identify as a management challenge um, but it it didn't take long to realize what the challenge and the problem was, which was actually for this particular individual, they're not good at timekeeping, classic kind of ADHD type type problem, but their work and their performance, amazing. And yet what was being focused upon was this one poor behavior that had no impact on the rest of the team, because this was a, a global team that were working uh, across time zones and they didn't need to be at their desk at a particular time. Um, And so all of the stellar work was being overlooked. Their management challenge was not really much of a management challenge. It's just they were bored by some of the tasks and they were bored by meetings. So when they were attending meetings, their communication style, they couldn't mask the fact that they were bored rigid during some of the meetings. Uh, And yet given technical work to do, even large volumes of it, absolutely stellar. So, yeah. And, and it, and it wasn't right. malicious, but yeah, sorry, wasn't malicious. The reason why he was right. being put through that performance yeah. improvement, they were just thinking, this this young lad needs his uh, performance addressing, and we're we're going to fix him. This is how we're going to fix it. Yeah, I, I was just going to ju- jump in and say, actually, <laughs> there's a reflection from myself um, on on my son, 
So my son is working as an apprentice in the same organisation as me. And he joins and our hours are 8.30 to 5. And I'm I'm a bit of a clock watcher. I spend a lot of my day on calls, as I can imagine all of you guys do. So I do tend to need to be there at the conventional hours. And the first couple of weeks, I was watching him on Teams to see when he was turning up and when he was showing us away and uh, having chats with him and saying, you know, you really need to be there at this time, etc. And he's he's not diagnosed, but we're, we're both very comfortable and happy with the fact that he's on the spectrum because we don't see it as anything that's just him. Um, but he performs best, as you say, Jim, he performs best in the evening. He throws himself into something. He'll be there till two o'clock in the morning programming and fixing a solution and he won't stop until he's achieved it and actually when you step back and look at how somebody's delivering it doesn't matter what time they're doing that delivery it's whether they're delivering um and and certainly he had the benefit of perhaps kinder uh, management than his own mother's management (laughs) 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 poor chap um but I learned from it as well, actually, in terms of uh, changing my mindset to to not reflect, not that I would ever pick anybody up in the way that you've described with your example, Jim, but but to reflect and say, well, actually, is that person doing their job? Um, yes, they are. Okay, let's move along. Yeah. Well, I'll probably just um, go in because I think my journey has been a bit double faceted. Um for me, I think one of my biggest um, behavioural elements within dyslexia is seeking acceptance. Um, if I'm if I'm always um, if I'm doing something right or if I'm doing something wrong, I always want to understand from others: Are you doing something right or wrong? Um, and that seeking acceptance, I still to this day I, I struggle, right? Because even though I manage a team, a global team, I constantly have to say. Please, I'm sorry, it's not just about out of politeness, but it's just because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, right? But then at the same token, when we take new members of staff on or take members of staff who work differently in inverted commas, um, I kind of see that before, I find it really struck, uh, I struggle to actually tell those individuals, Are you? do you know you could be X, Y, Z without being so... Uh, dantic or making those kind of judgments because I think that's not fair but you kind of witness it and you kind of help them so I've got a member of a staff for example who um, is who struggles when I tell them that there's a deadline even though the deadline is two three weeks away that individual panic day in day out that individual then throws themselves wholeheartedly in at the very last minute and it's mm. not the fact of um, it's not the fact of to say, well, actually, they've not planned. There's something there. There's something triggering it. So um, as a manager, I find it a bit of a struggle because I go through myself. I worry about time limits. I uh, I seek acceptance. This individual, how do, how do you go to them and say, well, I think there might be a problem here. I want to help and support you. But you need to have some kind of acceptance yourself that you yeah. you're open for that help and support so yeah it's in a different way so it's, in, it's interesting you mentioned about being a manager um like i think since i've been more consciously aware of myself i now look at the way other people talk a bit more thoughtfully like I said, actually did they say 
did they say that that way for a reason? Whereas before you might have assumed something. Um, uh, an example of that, I don't know if you've heard the term bottom-up thinking, um, anyone on the call, but it, it's it's the idea that, you know, and this could lead to you being seen differently, right? Um, which is this idea that you, as a neurodivergent person, you might start with the detail and work up to the big picture, not the other way around. Um, so you you might you might come to me and present an idea, a concept, something you're thinking of working on or you're really excited about, and I immediately see six things that are wrong with it. <laughs> um, and that's because, and that's that's because my brain's gone straight to the detail and gone. Well, you know, I'm I'm not saying this is a bad idea. I might love I might love the idea, but I can now see these six things immediately that I think could be a problem. So you know, I'm sat here going, well, how would that work? Or that won't work because, and 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 I kind of look at that and go, well, I look negative when I do that. You know, anyone doing this, so why why is that person? always the problem why are they why are they almost like actively trying to prevent us from doing things and, and they're not um you know it could be further from the truth you're probably quite heavily invested in making things work um and I, I just think that you know what business wouldn't wouldn't want someone in the in the in their teams that can look at new things and ideas and almost in advance like pre-beta testing go these are the things yeah. that are probably going to go wrong um <laughs> let's talk about them and fix them but if people don't know that they might just look at you and go yeah, you're yeah. being negative. You're really yeah. negative. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm hearing Stuart say this, and I'm just like, actually, this has this has caused me so many problems before. Where <laughs> where I have to say, no, I'm I'm just looking at how things could go wrong, and and what we can do to head that off, because I want this to be a success. But mm. but like my brain has gone like yours straight to the okay. Well, what what could go wrong? Not because I'm a pessimist or super negative, but it's the what could go wrong. Let's get some things in place so that that, you know, or can can we prevent it from going wrong? Um, but yeah, and and everybody's like, oh, you're always a negative. <laughs> I think it's really interesting though, like with with what you were saying there, Stuart, and come to what we spoke about when you and I first talked about this topic, and actually how complementary, because Cam, as you mentioned, the granular detail, you actually you struggle with that. But the bigger picture stuff, you see a lot more clearly and you can understand how everything is going to fit together in the end. And when you look at your skill set and, and perspective compared to what Stuart and Jim have just said is their experience and their thought process, it, it's really interesting how complementary your thought processes are together and how within an organization, you both bring a viewpoint that it creates a holistic viewpoint on a directive, on a project, whatever it might be, where an individual who maybe is neurotypical, actually, they don't really think about it in either of those ways. They may be task orientated. They might be, you know, just driven purely by the one, two, three, four, five, and they don't see it in the way you do. It's. I just think it's really interesting how we have people on this call who who do respond to respond to stuff very differently it's, i think yeah. and it is it is interesting when you look at um how do you form a good team how do you get high performance within a team you need diversity within that team you need to have somebody who is who is the logical thinker you need somebody who's going to be the high high sky dreamer of the art of the possible and then the people that can step in and say well how is that actually going to work in reality so mm. so 
you you need people like this to be able to to perform so it's actually a positive that you guys do it it's just when you're and and it's interesting because i'm observing and 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 learning from this and thinking about my team and how people come to me and I think I can have a tendency to follow the patterns that you guys do. Obviously, my son gets it from somewhere, but um, I always now stop and try and do a positive affirmation piece, which is, wow, that bit's great. How do you think you're going to get yourself to there to try and lead the person to it Mm. rather than sharing the answer? Even though I already know I can see it, I try to hold that that piece back. So it's interesting to to hear how you guys operate. Yeah, it's quite cool. In terms <laughs> of the, you know, just just to go back to that question, I think I maybe want to tag a little bit of a of an extra question onto the end of it. So, in terms of being treated differently without malicious intent, you all sort of talked about things that maybe took control away from a manager's normal way of doing it. There usual uh approach or a business's usual approach do you think that's where this tends to happen more where people are people you know neurodivergent individuals are treated differently because the control is taken away from what businesses to consider to be in quotation marks here for listeners the norm do you think that's what it is do you think it's maybe a control issue or or, or what do you re- what what do you think the reason is think, behind it i think it's I think it's a common so some of it is control and it's that expectation but that comes from from the lack of understanding and awareness right in that you know it is frustrating when you're trying to deal with somebody and you can't understand why they won't do what you say or or they won't yeah, do yeah. the way that you want them to do it you know um and i and i think of my relationship with my own son when he was much younger but actually no even now while he's an adult that when he's doing things even with you know my understanding of of my own responses and my reactions and my knowledge of of him and it it doesn't take away how frustrating it can be um <laughs> and so if you are neurotypical and you you don't get it because you don't think that way at all uh it, it's going to be doubly so because if you haven't mm-hmm. got that kind of understanding and it's not a lack of empathy necessarily but it's a lack of being able to to truly think in that in that same way and so it's not just about that kind of control element but about the hang on i've got an expectation why can't this person do it it's really simple you know i've given i've given them a a, i've given them a task scheduler i've told them about the pomodoro technique why can't they that that works really well for me and yeah you know the um just because it works for you know anyway yeah (laughs) so i think it's not just about that control but it's about the like you can't think necessarily in the same way yeah i think i think it goes just to piggyback on what Jim said, it does go back to the misconceptions of the role you portray, and at some to 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 some extent, you know, you have a bit of an impersonation type syndrome that comes into into play, where you actually you're a leader, um, the board see you as a leader, but you may not you you make it to the end goal, but you you've gone through loads of bombs in the journey to get to that end goal but trying to explain that um to others it's very difficult i I, prime example would be you know i remember applying for my job and i've said i'm dyslexic i then get into my role and say oh what can we do to make it better for you what does that what type of reasonable adjustments can we make we make those kind of reasonable adjustments and 
first thing I do is I, I go in, I, I write a paper about a particular business case, and guess what? It gets thrown straight back out on day one. And, you know, for me, acceptance has gone down rock bottom. I'm, I'm individually yeah. unhappy. It has affected my emotional well-being. Am I doing well at my job? Is a brand new job. Um, but secondly, there was a part that my managers didn't really understand mm. what it is that I could deliver. You know, you give me slides and some visual aids. I can walk through that slide. I can talk for hours and then you give me a document, a couple of page document, I'll be lost. I, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. So it's that, that education awareness goes that step further about the preconceptions yeah. of the role you portray. And sometimes you become an actor yourself at work, which is not healthy for anyone. Really no. fair. I think it's really interesting, obviously, that, that we talk about the awareness, um, because I think neurodiversity awareness is increasing. Um, and some companies have introduced neurodiversity programs, but I guess progress does seem slow. In your opinions, what are the biggest barriers that prevent companies from actively recruiting and supporting neurodiverse employees? And what should companies and, and candidates, I guess, going through recruitment and, and employment, what should these people consider to be, quotation marks here, reasonable adjustments? And, and how do we make requesting them more accept? Big question talking about kind of everything within that and I'll, I, I guess I'll throw to you guys and let you pick out from that question what you what you'd like to answer um Julie go on let's go to you first so so it's interesting when you talk to you know these new neurodiversity awareness programs I think actually in large corporate organizations everybody is looking at inclusivity so it should be irrespective you're you're making sure that people are able to come in and yet they still set margins and uh, quotas that they need to achieve for things like gender diversity they don't yet set anything for neurodiversity and it's really complicated because um you will often find and what i found in trying to find those personal stories it's putting a part of you out there and stuart spoke to it so well it's such a brave thing to do to share yourself on linkedin to make people aware of of who you are and your personal story so trying to gather who is neurodiverse Cam said as well, you, if you see traits in someone, you can't go up and go, right, did you know you might be? Because that person may not be, and they may just be having a bad day. You don't, Like, you don't know. And, mm. and for me, I think that's the problem, that it's such a sensitive, personal topic. It's really difficult for people to then go and put in their diversity profile to own, actually, this, this is a part of me, because there's still that uncertainty underneath fear that you've all talked to actually today that you're going to be judged for it that it's going to influence in your career that people will look at you and think about you differently um and so for me thinking about how can we improve bringing diversity in i think we need to be starting to think more about how we advertise our job descriptions i think we need to be talking to the skill sets and applauding them and saying if you have these types of skills and being specific and calling them out, this mm. is what we need. This is what we need you to bring to this rather than 
being very flat and generic, these are the skills that are required for this job. Actually, we want these people. We're actively asking you to come in. And it creates a, a more inclusive environment the second you apply. Yeah. Because you know that they're looking for somebody that has the skills that you're you're able to offer. So, yeah, we, I think that's my view. You can do on that as well, Julie. Like, I, I recently had my first attempt at writing a job advert that was neurodivergent friendly. Um, it may not be perfect, but I had a try. It's not a pitch. Um, but it's separating <laughs> essential skills from desirable skills. Yeah. Using bullet points to make it easier um, for, for someone to read. Um, saying what you mean, not assuming that people will read between the lines. Simple mm. things. And then everyone, like a lot of these things, everyone benefits from you know from those kind of efforts anyway, don't they? It's, it's often yeah. the case that you kind of go, yeah. well... You know, like you talked about adjustments. If you do things like making sure you share agendas ahead of a meeting, make making sure that you, you know, if it's a long meeting, put some put some breaks in, put put some reflection time in, so that someone can sit and actually catch up with what they were thinking. Like, who doesn't benefit from that? Every, everyone does, you know. So then, a neurodivergent person isn't even our asking for some adjustments that they might otherwise need because it's just how you do things mm. i think you know talking about I, I i spoke probably with with all four of you when we were initially talking about neurodiversity about how how i i always try as a you know as a recruitment consultant i always try to make my adverts and my communication with people as accessible as possible and and julie you even shared some feedback and i've changed now how i yeah. do it ever so slightly just a couple of words here and there but i've already amended slightly because another eye on it went particularly from a diversity perspective well what if you change that word to that and that word to that and it does it reads so much better and i think i think you're right it's it's one of the big things when you look at the accessibility for neurodivergent candidates job specs and job adverts can be so off-putting and I'm saying that from our perspective, but even as a as a neurotypical person, if you see a as you were saying there, Stu, a really clear, really well set out, to the point, yeah. direct job ad, as opposed to something that is two and a half pages of prose that you've got to actually work out what the hell this job is. Yeah. Even if you're neurotypical, one of them's going to be more appealing to look at and apply for than the other. So actually if we do exactly what you were saying and apply some of the stuff that does make it more accessible for neurodivergent or, or kind of, you know, if you look at any of the other diverse communities, you take out any gender bias within it, you take out any locational bias within it. It makes it more accessible for everybody. So I think, I think you're right. These practices actually do make things better for everyone. And don't put things in that aren't needed. Like yeah. it, if you've got someone that's not in a client-facing role, why is it critical they have good communication skills? And what I don't know what that even means. Does it mean good verbal, written? But it's, it's not important, is it? Hmm. No, that's there are some really. standard some standard things that go into job descriptions that everyone feels that they have to put in there. And actually, we should be able to diversify and we should be able to be bold enough to say we're actively recruiting for people with a neurodiverse background if this is you, feel free to apply or just have a conversation with us because you you have unique skills. We all do, but you know you kind of know what they are within as you guys have talked to in the analytical thinking and stuff. If if we can just be more open in our recruitment, 
and enable and say, you know, do you prefer to work different hours? Do you so so you give a context of who you are as a company within your job description. You you make people feel more included, definitely. And it's that gatekeeping by putting these things in that means you're continuing to kind of perpetuate that situation. Like how many of us have got candidates in roles where you see the job description, the job description says um, university education, must have university education, must have the follow good communication skills. And actually you then reflect on it and say, well, hang on a second, that's just excluded a huge number of applicants who would be perfectly capable of doing the role, but didn't either have the confidence to go to university or or the finances available, but has been able to prove themselves in 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 other ways and and has maybe taken an alternative route into employment um, as as a result of it. And and that's really interesting because that's me. I don't have a degree. I wasn't I wasn't fortunate enough to be able to go, and I carried a huge. Uh, chip on my shoulder about it feeling actually that obviously I was never going to be able to achieve and it, and it's wrong which is probably another reason I'm so passionate about diversity and inclusion everything that you bring I think being a mother brought me a lot of skills that help me with my job now <laughs> for sure yeah definitely how many thoughts on on this in terms of accessibility the reasonable yeah again quotation marks reasonable adjustments which we, we all yeah, we, we we chatted the other day about this, and we went on for about half an hour, didn't we? When we were talking about it. Yeah, so I, you know, I'm quite uh, passionate about this actually, because you know, when people brand yourself as being dyslexic, the, the automatic thing that they revert to is, oh, is you know, is there any kind of dual sets or anything that you need to help you do your job? Um, and then you know, every role I've gone into, I said yes, you know, I need X, Y, Z tools. I dictate into a uh, an application and I'll write up my documents for me um, so I can just verbally express myself. Um, we, you know, there's been several occasions where I've used the tools to my disposal. Um, but then there's other parts that adds on to that. Um, it's not just a tool, right? There's, there's parts that say, well, um, I need the time to to train that application to 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 work the way I need it to work, to get it the best for myself and and for for my role. And the second part is, those are technological um, enhancements that help you. What about the software side of it? So as an example, you know, <clears throat> I've got I've, I've got this application. It does wonders for me. I, I talk into it. It writes some reports for me. But on several occasions, I've had to present um, and, and edit live documents. Well, guess what? I those letters are going all over the place for me. I can't see them correctly. I'm, I'm making myself look really silly on a call with a, you know, a, a bunch of board executives. And these board, board executives, there was a misinterpretation that they could get. They would have known that I'm dyslexic. Mm. At the same token, would I want to say that at the beginning of every meeting? Oh, by the way, guess what? I'm dyslexic. So if I don't come across the way you want me to come across, I apologize because that's a little bit demeaning for yourself as an individual. Yeah. And and the receiving party. So, uh, you know, reasonable adjustments in it's 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 a connotation. It's a it's an applicable term. But the softer side of that does need a lot of TLC, you know, 
my uh, my my board director would go to me or oh, cam i read up on some books and um I've, I've made myself understood what it is that you need from us how do we support you from the softer side so it does boil down to the education and awareness again but the only way that education awareness works is guess what every neurodivergent person is going to have individual strengths or weaknesses no two dyslexic people are going to be exactly the same no two people who has adhd going to be exactly the same they'll be different yeah i think, I think it, oh go on sorry oh, jim sorry Stephen. i was i was just going to say i think uh, we've talked about some of those provisions but reasonable accommodations you look at what happened with covid where everybody suddenly was working remotely lots of people now have drifted back and some workplaces are, are insisting that staff come in a lot more often um, but actually remote work for a lot of people was really beneficial if if you're not able to work remotely at least the provision of some kind of quiet working space and that doesn't have to be a oh it's a silent room or a, or, or your own personal office but for a lot of people actually working in a large open plan office it's not just the noise but it's all of the people and how busy it is you know certainly kind of you look at how i take in information everything's kind of flat i have to t i take in all of the information so if i'm in an open plan working space i have to put earbuds in because i have to tune into something that cuts through all of that noise um to kind of create this wall of sound so there needs to be an understanding that either you've got to provide uh, something which means you can get the best out of somebody or you have to be tolerant to the fact that they may look like they're rude because they've got headphones on in the office or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's catering for those bits where actually all of that excess stimulus is is, is causing people problems. I think as a, as a final point on this, in terms of the, the, you know, the sorts of adjustments that people should feel comfortable for, uh, should feel comfortable asking about, it, it can be quite tricky and it, it and it can be pushing the the boundaries of what you as an individual individual might consider to be reasonable. But I know we mentioned the other day, Stuart, when we were talking about this, and we talked about somebody who um, you know has an ASD diagnosis. They may really benefit from having, say, if they're going through an interview process, having questions ahead of time. Whereas so many interviewers and so many businesses would never think to offer that as you know as as an enhancement to the process or as an adjustment for an individual but it might make such a big difference for somebody and i guess it's just being confident enough to ask for the things that would make you feel like you're able to perform at your best because that's what we all want from everybody who works for us is for people to perform to their best and you know it's just like i said then having the confidence to be able to ask for it brilliant um, so on to our next question then. Uh, it can be considered that for some companies, the push for neurodiversity in the workplace is less about promoting inclusion and more about capitalising on a particular skill set, such as highly focused individuals or people who are extremely good when it comes to analytical thinking. Firstly, do you believe this is true, that that is a reason why people want to capitalize on neurodiversity within the workplace and if you do do you think it diminishes the the value of the neurodiversity initiatives um let's 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 jump to you cam i don't think there's any particular one shoe size that fits all uh answer to that um and as an example i'd say um i do we, we went on some managerial workshops 
and in the manager workshops before we went in, they wanted to do a um, a psychometric uh, test on all of us to understand what's our, you know, what colour person are you? You know, the, the, the usual analogy, you're a leader, you're this, you're that. And it was interesting because mine came up as a leader, but my my negative points was I was very, I was a very emotive character. Um, my my self esteem was a little low. My confidence was a little low. So how can you be a leader when those other elements are low? You know what can you do to support that? So yeah, I, I suppose the way. It was very difficult to be put in a pool of individuals who all have individual talents, who will all come with a different color um, personality trait that they may have or a leadership trait that they may have and not capitalize on those kind of strengths or weaknesses, you know, um, whereas your hidden talents are so much more. Your hidden talents would be, guess what, I can, I can almost brainchild anything from a higher level conception, mm. whereas those individuals that look at the ground level upwards and build up to that big uh, foundation point. So, um, yeah, I, I, an example of this would be, um, I do remember being selected for a specialist uh, police uh, uh, squad, and it was to do with, it was tackling counterterrorism, and every individual had different types of psychometric things, you know, they had cards, they had cue cards, uh, and every officer had different things presented to him. I had a bunch of Lego pieces uh, given to me. No out of uh, choice, not people, but they just wanted to understand how you tick. And how I ticked was building things with Lego pieces. And for the force, that was a great thing because for the force, it was that understanding. Of, well, actually, this person has different type of strengths where others individuals will have report writing or bringing things together or memorizing these kind of things well Sam can build things and his focus is not really written it's something else i don't, I don't know mm. if that answers the question but it, it was a prey on the, the strengths or weaknesses in a different concept yeah jim what are your thoughts i can find the unmute button the um <laughs> i think um I think there's some truth in this. Like the cynic in me looks at um, looks at some companies that set up neuro inclusion programs or or who promote um, neurodiversity, uh, and I, I I don't include your employers in this, Julie, because obviously there is some really good work being done in 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 this space, and there are lots of companies that are taking it really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the problem is that whilst companies might say, hey, we embrace this, and as with any diversity, and it's not just neurodiversity, as with any diversity, mm -hmm. there are companies who are doing it for kind of um, environmental and social kind of reasons, and they, they know that it looks good in a brochure. But actually, you then look at, for example, that they have inflexible policies and procedures, that they insist on all of the interviews are conducted using the STAR technique. And, and so, actually, there's not always... A really clear um, link between what they say and and what they actually do. So I, th I think there is some jump on the bandwagon because you know our investors will think it looks good, and also somebody has told us that. Uh, and part of it, you know, is then driven by the those kind of you know 
stigma and kind of stereotypes you know that all autistic people must be really they're all like rain man and they're really good at pattern recognition and 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 counting matchsticks and uh, adhd people will work like crazy for eight hours and then whatever those stereotypes might be the things that we know are our strengths are highlighted and the weaknesses are being ignored so there's this, hey, how can we harness some of those strengths? How can we get that into the company without changing any of the existing status mm. quo of our policies, our procedures, the way that we work? Um, and certainly the conversations I've had, uh, even within companies that say, yeah, we you know, we embrace diversity, there is still a lack of actual awareness and an understanding of how to, um, how to look at what those strengths and weaknesses are and how you support people once they come into in, into the workplace and it's the it's the okay you've said you want to do this but you've got to go the whole hog you've got to go all in and you've got to make the changes to make it um a workplace that kind of fits and allows people to to excel and to shine how do you see that from your side then julie when you in terms of heading up dni what yeah like what, what's your perspective on that so for me it's about creating psychological safety and actually, as we were talking about earlier, starting with the job descriptions and, and, and being open and transparent at that very beginning of who you are as an organisation, in, in my current organisation, they are inclusive. They will make sure that you are listening to what an individual needs. So it, it doesn't matter whether you're neurodiverse or, or what you are, it's about that individual. Um and enabling them to work effectively. I do think the change of policies is an interesting one because for me, I think a lot of what we drive about the psychological safety is from a management perspective. So actually we should be educating our managers and our leaders to be able to better embrace people's skills and recognize where somebody may be struggling, that it's not a weakness actually there may be a reason behind it and to have a positive conversation about that individual and checking in and saying hey are you okay i've noticed that you've been super quiet in the meetings do you want to explore anything is there anything that you need to share with me about how i can make this environment more inclusive for you i have an example for somebody who's um in my team who's deaf and coming into the meeting room makes it really difficult for him to focus and hear properly. Sitting with his headphones on, he can still be in the meeting room. He can be a part of where we are, but he can then cancel out, like you said, Jim, cancel out that noise and actually just focus in on what you need to hear. Um, so, so yeah, for me, I think it's psychological safety needs to be put in place from the leadership downwards so that everybody understands that we all may need different support. Stuart, anything anything that you want to add to us on on this this third question about uh, you know the capitalization of the skill sets? I think if, if if the motivation for hiring neurodivergent people is that they have a certain skill set, and you're going to be thoughtful about how you do that, and you're going to support them when they're in the business, like there's a lot of cynicism around. I think that's fine. Like to be honest, that that's that's good. You're looking for the right people for something that benefits your business and you're supporting them it's it's if you know it's if you're targeting people with certain skill sets um because you need those people but they're not supporting them you know so mm -hmm. using it as a kind of way of filtering to find the right people 
but then getting them through the door and treating them like everybody else. Yeah. I think, you know, I think that's, you know, I don't know, I've no evidence of that happening, by the way, but I think that that's, that's negative and, and you know, and if, if you were in that situation as an employee, you'd, you'd feel really let down, right? And I think that's that's exactly what you were saying, Jim, wasn't it? About it, it, it's absolutely fine to want to bolster your team with people who are neurodivergent because they bring skill set to uh, a skill set to your team that may not exist within your team. But then you have to go the whole hog in terms of supporting them, as you, as you were saying. I think it's I think it's absolutely right. And you know, not not only do you want to hire somebody because of a perceived skill set and a stereotypical skill set because of a um a diagnosis but we spoke about it didn't it didn't we do about that you when you discover oh i'm really good at this and this is why like i, I had a little light bulb moment with jim when we were talking about how i could actually respond to things really really well in a crisis because i see things very quickly in a linear fashion and go this is how we fix things and jim was talking about it i was like He's saying something straight out of my mind that I never knew was anything to do with this. Um, and I, th- I think it's really, really interesting. So we'll jump to our final question now um, as we as we come towards the end of our time. Um, and this is where I want us to talk about the really good things that we've seen as, uh, as, as we consider neurodiversity within the cyber and information security world. Um, what's the most effective support structure that you've seen or you've experienced that provided neurodiverse team members with the greatest opportunity to thrive or excel. Julie, do you want to start us off? It's uh, Vodafone is a great company to work for in in this circumstance, in my view. Um, I think the enablement to be you and to work how you need to work is followed up by the policies, is supported by our HR function and it's and it's i know it's policies and you need policies but it's actually that 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 positive affirmation that i was uh, calling out before in the psychological safety you create an environment that makes it clear from the get-go that we're supportive um and from a structure perspective it's actually that the organization shows how they plan to do it um i know when we were chatting before i said you know taking on a neurodiverse person isn't just for Christmas it's for life (laughs) and you you have to continue to check in and respond and make sure that what what you're doing still works for that individual because we all change and grow right and something that you needed before you may have actually learned a new coping mechanism and you may be really cool with that thing but something else might be rearing its head from a new experience or as you step up in your career path as well you experience different situations that you haven't been placed in before and your reaction can be different. So I think um, having the the line manager training and having the policies that support you are probably the most important thing that you can have so that you know. I have a really good example of somebody who watched one of my hidden disability sessions and then put himself forward to be a part of it and he suffers with ADHD and he was in a previous organization where he was told if you don't look like a a middle-aged white businessman and speak like one then you have no career and then he came to Vodafone he didn't come to Vodafone 
because of the way that we act around diversity and inclusion. But he said, I felt compelled to speak because actually coming here and being accepted and being able to work the hours that I want, being able to write the copious notes that I need to write to be able to capture something, being able to say, I'm sorry, I've lost that train of thought because my mind just went off somewhere else and feel okay about doing that. That's That was really telling for me in terms of him finding the place that's right for him where he feels safe enough to have that and share that. What's really nice about, about that, Julie, as well is I think we, we've talked about neurodivergent people or anyone really telling their employ, employers what they need, but expecting them to do all the work, expecting them to... You know, it's, it, they should absolutely have to put their hands up if they if they think they need to, but you know, self advocating constantly is is really bad as well. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you're having to constantly say, "Here's what I need," um, yeah. so yeah, that responsibility that you're talking about there for the employer to then go, "Let's maintain this," you know, "Let's let's make it top down." That's really good. I, I you know that that sounds fantastic. Yeah. What about your experiences then, Stuart? While we've got you, anything that you've seen or, or experienced that you think has been particularly, you know, supportive? I think <clears throat> some of the things I've seen. I mean, actually, I think the one that's had the most impact is almost accidental. Um, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but fle- flexible hours, flexible working, remote working. Um, you know, I, I was I was sort of hybrid pre pre-covid anyway um but i think one of the things that i always did even you know pre-2020 when someone joined my team is i would say flexible hours that's great you know you work when you want like this is i mean i'm in consultancy so it's outcome based a lot of the time so you know i i don't care quite frankly if if someone decides that they would like to you know, write their report at nine o'clock at night because that's when their brain is is at its best or that's when they're finding it easiest to focus. All I really care about is that the outcome is good. You know, I don't, there's no expectation that people work, you know, silly hours, but certainly, you know, as long as people can be available when they're needed and if we put an important meeting in, you need to be there. And if you're the customer, of course, but actually the main thing I care about is, is good outcomes and good quality yeah. work. And outside of that, honestly, it, it's... I think one of the biggest things that you can do to help people of, of, of all sorts, really, is kind of put that structure in place and say, you know, th- this will work as long as things are, are kind of being delivered and as long as we're getting a good outcome. And, 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 and manage things in that way has worked really well for me and it works really well for me as an employee um, kind of on the flip side of it as well. Yeah, fantastic. And what about yourself from your experiences? I think um, it's a mixture of empathy and enhanced level of empathy, which goes... Uh, from an individual outwards and from uh, a bottom-up, top-down structure, uh, but also a, a way of beckoning that empathy with spatial awareness, making them aware that you're you're different and celebrating why you're different, telling people that you this was the status quo. This was this is what we always how we did it. This is always the way that we've managed to get things across. Let's change that. Let's change that demographic. Let's, um, you know, my my business is a very old business, and the the board always had papers upon papers. Well, I changed that couple of page paper to three slides, and I said I'll have the exact same amount. But let me talk you through my visual interpretation of of what we're talking about, and sometimes changing that status quo 
celebrate your differences enables other managers other leaders to say well cam did it i'm I, i'm i'm able to do it maybe i don't need that um special funding that i have a, sp- a specific neurological disability change the word disability to to exercise success or a, or a positive affirmation like what julie said i think that's really important so mm-hmm. empathy goes up down left right central it's it's a joint approach i think yeah and i think you know to to bring that up to the wider topic of this entire series when you look at diversity of any facets empathy is is the thing that ties everyone together it's just that ability isn't it to understand that someone might need something done differently and that doesn't matter if it's because of a neurological disability. It doesn't matter if it's your gender. It doesn't matter if it's your religion. It doesn't matter if it's your sexual orientation. It's just that empathetic approach to everything. Um, so, now nah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting point. Jim, do you want to round us out with any thoughts? Yeah, I do, and actually, I think, you know, when we talked earlier about the neuroinclusion programs we're talking about how we address equality right you know how do we make sure that there's an equality of opportunity and the support networks when somebody joins we talked a lot about where businesses have or at least i have me with my cynical hat on was talking about where people have been let down or where you know where where there are still gaps but actually Stuart's point is really really important which is if we are outcomes based and we're looking for an outcome there is a responsibility on us, the neurodiverse employees and the people that we're hiring to do the job and and to arrive, you know, to execute their tasks and arrive at that particular outcome. So that support needs to look like, okay, a really clear, transparent, this is what the outcomes we expect from you are, um, so that we're managing those expectations and, and we have to take responsibility for some of the things we do. We need the support. So then the equality exists and now we need to provide the equity, which is we need to recognize who people are. We need to recognize where the weaknesses are and we need to provide them with support to kind of bring it up to a level playing field because we don't all come from the same starting position. And and so for those neurodiverse employees, it is a case of saying, okay, what are the weaknesses and what do we need to do to help provide you with what what's needed so that you are on the same, um, same kind of playing field to be able to achieve those outcomes. Mm. And that may be a case for me the things that I like doing and the things that I dislike doing. Okay, so I can do all of the GRC side of things. I can write the policies and everything else. Do I enjoy it? No, I hate it. It's really, really <laughs> important. And actually getting it right is, uh, you know, is is a critical part of, of, of what we do, having meaningful um, policies, procedures, and, and processes. But I don't like doing it. So having somebody who can back up that person who does love doing it, somebody who loves the paperwork, mm. loves that kind of um, process-driven side of it, uh, and backing people up with, okay, here's a thing that you don't do so well. Here's a thing that um, you don't enjoy doing. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be enjoying doing it. You're gonna find it frustrating, and it's gonna take you longer than it would take somebody else. So let's back you up and have somebody who does like doing those things, mm. so that you're you're using the strengths of all of your employees you know if you have somebody dyslexic like cam for example making sure that when they're doing report writing they're backed up by somebody who can learn and benefit from what cam's doing to support him by being the reviewer or whatever it might be it's it's looking at the okay where are those weaknesses and and what can we do as a team to kind of help backfill and support and uh, and grow together and i think again that ties so well into into the point of this series um, when you see employees within a team 
as individual contributors? Do they have the opportunity to thrive and excel if it's just a person within a team? Or it is this part that fits into this team that does this and has these strengths? And I think that second viewpoint, as just they are a member of a team being the first, I think that that, that viewpoint is far more important and far more conducive to people really being able to thrive. Um, fantastic. Well, I mean, we've, we've absolutely flown through an hour there, guys. Um, and I just want to say thanks so much, because as as is with, with all these sorts of topics, I feel like we could speak for a lot longer and really go into a lot of we could take one of those questions and probably speak for about two hours on it so i just want to say thank you to you guys for keeping your you, you know your points still relevant whilst whilst practicing a bit of a bit of brevity as well um before we end the podcast though i'd like to just personally say thank you so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation uh so thank you to Julie Osborne at Vodafone, to Stuart Wright at Netitude, to Cam Karaji at uh, Bibi Financial Services, and to Jim Newman at Capco. If you're looking to hire across cybersecurity, or if you want to discuss how you can make your recruitment and talent engagement processes more diverse or accessible, then get in touch with me at Evolution. I'm Stephen Mann, and you can find me on LinkedIn, or you can email me at Stephen with a ph dot man m-a-n-n at evolutionjobs.co.uk or you can visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash uk thanks again to all our guests and thank you for listening we hope you can join us next time